Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139. And I'll be taking a little break here from the book of Acts. This is actually one of those unique years. It happens, I forget how, however many years in between, but Advent doesn't start the Sunday after Thanksgiving this year. Advent starts next week. And because of the five Sundays in December. So we're kind of in between here a little bit. And so we're going to focus today on just a psalm that uh, hopefully will be a blessing and encouragement to you as we consider uh, coming off of Thanksgiving here. Uh, just turning our attention to some attributes of God uh, for which we can be incredibly thankful and grateful for. And uh, then we'll, uh, we'll start with our Advent series next week. We're going to be in the book of Ruth. So if you want to get ahead and read, we're going to address one of the, each chapter of the book of uh, Ruth over the Advent Sundays, and uh, awesome themes of redemption in the book of Ruth. Uh, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible, it's an incredible story of reversal, and uh, just seeing God's grace and goodness there, and the redemption themes, which uh, obviously bode well. Uh, um, or go well with uh, the Advent themes, and then the fact that the whole thing centers around Bethlehem and foreshadowing a, a king that would be born in that city uh, fits Advent as well. So that's where we'll be in the next few weeks. We'll get back to Acts in January. But uh, for now, Psalm 139, if you have one of the Bibles in the back off the rack there, um, that's uh, page 300. Page 300 and 301 is where you could find that. And if uh, you don't have a Bible of your own, we, that's, please take that one. And uh, you can have it and keep it and bring it home with you. And um, learn about God through his word. So, Psalm 139. This is a Psalm of David. I'm going to read the whole chapter. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. And know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, I pray that you would take your words, your truth, the song penned by David so many years ago. And you'd encourage us, bless us, remind us this morning who you are, these truths that David reflected on, your omniscience, your omnipresence, your care and your love for your concern for your creation. So God, do the work in our hearts that needs to be done today. God, as always, for some, we need to hear these words just by way of encouragement today. We need to be encouraged. We need to be blessed and built up in our faith. And God, for some, these words of not being able to flee from you could be quite sobering and haunting today. I pray, God, if that's where anyone finds themselves today, God, running from you, God, that they would understand that that's impossible. And they'd reorient their lives as David did. So they find in you and these attributes not a threat, but a great source of blessing and encouragement. So do work in our hearts, Lord. We pray this as always for the glory of Jesus and the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is uh, one of my favorite psalms. And I've heard... Uh, People in the past, preachers over the years, say, uh, find your psalm. You're going through a difficult time, going through a struggle. Find, find your psalm. Psalms are wonderful. I, I love that they were included in the scripture because as you read them, the psalms express a lot of raw emotion, a lot of frustration in the psalms towards God, a lot of struggle, a lot of questions. How long, O oh Lord? Where are you? Why does it seem like the wicked prosper and the, and the good suffer? Um, God, I, I feel alone. I feel abandoned. All right? I, I love it. Uh, God put that in here. He's not afraid of that. Not afraid of those questions. He understands what it's like to live in the broken, sin-cursed world that we live in. So he, he allowed the thoughts and feelings of people who've gone before us to be expressed, uh, these same feelings and emotions that we often share. But here's the thing about the Psalms. In the midst of the, the raw emotion that's often there, what the psalmists almost always do in their Psalms is say, in spite of how I feel, in spite of what the circumstances feel like, they always state what they know to be true about God. And they find their hope and joy in that. Even though they don't feel it, they anchor themselves in what they know to be true. And that's what the psalmists do throughout the songs of the Psalter. Psalm 139 is, is one of those. It just is expressing joy in who God is, rooting in this foundation of who God is. The reason why it's meaningful to me is um, I feel like God gave me this psalm years ago uh, before Carissa was born. And, and Kathy, we were pregnant with our first. And um, on a Sunday morning, in between Sunday school and church, Kathy came to me and said, something's wrong. And a good friend of hers uh, took her aside and, and um, took her home. And uh, she's pretty confident at that point that we were maybe losing a baby. And, uh, and I remember getting up in that second service, or in that first that was service in that second hour after Sunday school. And I was leading music. And uh, I remember we were singing a song, um, it's, it's Not About Me, as if you should do things uh, my way, you alone, O God, or, and I surrender, and I'm singing that with my lips, and I'm thinking in my head, no, nope, nope. 
<laughs> nope, I don't. God, don't, not this, not this. And sure enough, it was confirmed that we'd miscarried. And, uh, and I remember in the days after that, and uh, the days, I, th- I think Kathy was resting. We were in our apartment over at Cornerstone one of those days, and uh, Kathy was resting, and I believe it was after they'd done the procedure to you know, remove the baby. And uh, Kathy was sleeping, and I was in the bathroom having this, this shouting match at God. I was mad at him. And I wasn't shouting too loud because I didn't want the neighbors to think that the seminary guy training to be a pastor next door was crazy, you know. But I'm in the bathroom doing that. Like, what are you doing? No. Like, why would you do this? You know, God, we, we were excited. And we'd gone to Traverse City. We bought this little stuffed dog, you know, and it, that was for the baby. And, you know, all of these thoughts. And I was so frustrated. And, and I went out to our living room. I sat down and opened my Bible. And I don't know why God brought me, but he put Psalm 139 in my head. And I sat down, and I read this psalm, and I was just like, this is, this is it. And when I got to the part that said, you formed me, and all the days were written for me in your, in your book, and God said, Craig, right? I, I, I know about this baby. And I was struck with that thought, God, this baby lived exactly as long as you ordained. And I don't understand your purposes. I don't understand why it was that short, but I'm going to have to trust this about who you are. And God encouraged me with this psalm that day, and it's been dear to my heart ever since, and I've found hope and blessing and thanksgiving in the truths of this psalm. So I want us to find the same this morning. I hope it encourages and blesses you. There's two basic truths emphasized in this psalm. Number one, God has searched me and knows me, right? His omniscience. And number two, God is with me, his omnipresence. God has searched me, he knows me, and God is with me. I want to stop, because sometimes we use terms like God, and we're like, oh, yeah, I know what that is, God. I know who he is. But, but just to give perspective, do, do me a favor. Keep your finger here and, and flip back to Psalm 97, just so we're clear on who we're talking about when we understand, uh, when we read this about God searching me and knowing me. I want us to understand who it is we're, we're talking about. So let's read Psalm 97. Keep it in mind, and uh, this will come into, into play again here in a few minutes. The Psalter was arranged in order on purpose, you know. And sometimes you can see connections between the Psalms. They weren't just randomly arranged. And, and so when you read Psalm 23, for instance, you go through Psalm 22 to get to Psalm 23, and you see some questions and doubts in Psalm 22 before you get to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and you can pick up themes and, and things through the Psalms. And so before we get to Psalm 139, we've already read this in Psalm 97. This is who we're talking about. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad, clouds and thick darkness are all around him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around, his lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy in the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. So when David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, that is who he is talking about. That God, before whom the mountains melt like wax, 
Fire goes before his throne. The Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Creator, Ruler of the universe. That is the God who has searched you and known you. It's quite the statement. That God. This is who we are talking about. So let's unpack what David says about that God and his relationship to King David here. Searched me and knows me. This word searched, it indicates a difficult, diligent probing. It literally is used when, um, in, in searching a city, exploring a city, looking through land to find a place to live. Right? Most of you probably know your history, right? The, the pilgrim. Plymouth was not the first place the pilgrims landed when they came to Massachusetts. They landed at the tip of uh, the arm there of Massachusetts in what's now Provincetown. And the, the Mayflower anchored there, and they got out. And for several days, they searched. They, they were desperate to find a place to live. And if you've ever been out there, there's no good place to live out in that part of Massachusetts. It's all sand dunes and, and, and ocean, and, and no play, place to plant crops, no, no clean water. But, but they searched. They, they were exploring. They, they were desperate to find a place. That, that's what this term um, kind of uh, um, means here, searching. Now, listen, God, right, he obviously doesn't have to work. Uh, at this, the way we think of when we think of searching or seeking to understand someone, right? Verse 4 and verse 16 uh, clearly communicate that God doesn't need to rely on investigating us in order to really know us, right? So what's going on here? I'd suggest to you it's this. This is anthropomorphic, poetic language. It's accommodating language that David is using. David uses this concept of effort here on God's part, to communicate a concept that is meaningful to us, right? Effort in a relationship communicates concern and care and interest, right? We, we understand this, husbands and wives, right? Or anyone, you've had a best friend or something. Like when, when our spouse or our friend or our family member asks us, seeks to understand us, like it means something. The fact that you're asking me questions, the fact that you're trying to understand, that means something. That communicates a level of care and concern. I think that's what David is communicating here. That God cares for us at an intense level. He's seeking to, uh, to understand us. Right? Known me. You've known me. Right? Think of someone you know really well. Best friend, roommate, sibling, spouse child, parent, right? The God of Psalm 97 knows you even better than that deepest and most intense relationship. My kids will tell me, I, you know, as a parent, you, you, you mess with your kids as dads, right? And you, I don't know, you do things like you're, I don't know, you have a, a vacation plan to Disney World and you come out and go, oh, kids, sorry, Disney World burned down last night. We can't go now. You know, you, 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 whatever. You do stuff like this, right? Well, I, it's gotten to a point where, you know, when my kids were little, I used to be able to do it like, oh, daddy, you know, and now I can't do that anymore. You know why? Because I'll do that and Maggie's sitting down here laughing and she knows what I'm going to They'll look at me and they'll go, dad, you have your lying face on. I'm like, what? Like, you have your lying face on. I'm like, I, I don't even know I have a lying face. But, but apparently, I, stop nodding yes, Maggie. You um, Right? I can't do that anymore. Why? Over the years, they, they've, they've gotten to know me, and they look at me, and they're like, nope, nope, you have your lying face on. I'm like, oh, why? They know me that well. For 18 years, 16 years, 20 years, whatever it is, they, they, they know Dad. They know my expressions. God is that intimately acquainted with you. All right? So this word picture here helps us to understand 
that God knows us in the same way we would know someone after the conclusion of years of deep and difficult probing. Right? That's how God knows us. And even that, our knowledge of each other, even that at its best, pales to the way God knows us due to his omniscience. So we can say from that that God's knowledge of me is complete. And the psalmist loves into this, right? You know, when I sit down and, and when I rise up, in other words, these, these are opposites. He's using poetry to communicate. You know all my activities. Whether I'm sitting and doing something or whether I'm laying down, you know it all. By the way, remember this whole context of the Psalter type of thing? You know me when I sit down to get to Psalm 139. You've read Psalm 137. Look at Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we, what? Sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. I guarantee you, the Jewish mind, uh, the Hebrew mind, reading these, these songs, they'd be reading Psalm 139. Their mind would go back to the song they read in Psalm 137. God knew us when we sat down in exile, weeping, broken. God knows when I sit down. They would have made that connection. Knows my sitting. Everything. He goes on to describe God discerns and perceives my thoughts from afar. God understands. He doesn't just know what I do. He knows what I'm thinking and what I intend to do even before I do it. And for God, any type of distance from afar is not a problem. He has complete understanding. And this is comforting, right? God is transcendent. He's other than me, and yet he still knows me. I would, again, I would suggest to you here that like previously, this word afar, it's really, it's accommodating language. So there is a sense where God is far because he's transcendent, but he's also here. He's right beside me. So distance is a spatial concept that we understand. Again, I think David's just communicating something here. It doesn't matter. God, God knows you. Distance is not a, an issue to God. And we think about that, the challenge to know people over distance, right? That's hard. It wouldn't be a problem for God. And Kathy and I, when we were dating, the good part of our dating relationship was long distance. It was back in the day before, you know, before we could text. I know I don't look that old, but we, we couldn't text. I don't even, we didn't have cell phones, you know. We had to, like, use landlines and had to wait for, like, 5 p.m. on Sunday so we could do the 10 cents a minute thing. Remember those days? And it was, um, but, like, that was hard. I mean, it's hard enough for us guys to understand Right, uh, women, because we're thick. And, but then you, you complicate that with distance and the phone. And I mean, there's times I'm like thinking on the phone, like, is this a good conversation, bad conversation? Like, I wish I could see her. I wish I could read her. I don't know what, you know, get off the phone, like, oh, was that good or bad? Like, did I say something wrong? I couldn't see her expressions. Like, distance, that was kind of hard. That was a pain, right? Distance means nothing to God. He knows us that there's no distance at all. He knows us in spite of his transcendence. He knows everything about my mind and my thoughts, my fears, my uncertainties. And so maybe, like me, some of you have said at times in your life, right, no one gets me. No one understands. No one feels what I'm feeling right now. Right? You ever been there? I have. The fact of the matter is, it's simply not true. God does. God knows me at that level, and that should be a great encouragement to you. This also helps me when I pray. The fact that God knows me at that level, this level, it helps me when I pray. The reality of it is sometimes I don't even understand myself. Sometimes I don't even, I don't know why I'm angry. I don't know why I feel depressed or anxious. I don't know why I feel bothered, right? But I tell God when I pray in these times, I'm like, God, I don't get me. I don't even know why I'm annoyed right now. But you do. You understand me. So 
you just take this, please, and give me what I need, because I don't even know what to ask for. God in his omniscience, the God of some, he knows me, and he's able to hear that prayer and go, you don't know what you need right now, but I do. You don't know why you're feeling that way right now, but I do. What a great comfort that I can pray to God in that way. He searches out my path. Again, you see some opposites. My, my lying down, my getting up. This is intense scrutiny. That's what this it implies here. God's searching out. It's intense scrutiny. It's actually language of measurement. Like you measure. It's funny. Like for the amount of things I'm laid back about in my life, you could ask my wife. I'm laid back about a lot of things, probably too many things. Like she looks at my office. She's like, how can you work in here? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't see it. You know? And, uh, but, but some things, right, I'm like, I'm like the guy who when I cook or make pancakes, like, I have to, like, I'm, I have the measuring stick, you know, the, the cup, and I'm like, oh, like, oh, no, there's too big of a pile there, you know? So you, like, it has to be exact. It doesn't even matter, right? That, that little, or like, the measuring cup, like, the liquid, and I'm like, oh, that's a sixteenth too much, you know? And then you dump too much, and you're like, oh, I got to put it back underneath, and I go back and forth, like, five times because I dump out too much, and I'm like, just dump it in the, you know? It doesn't matter. I'm not like these magical people like my grandma or like Wendy's Itema who's just like, and it right? Out comes something awesome, right? I, like intense. I have to look. I have to measure. I have to, but that's what's being communicated here. God is like looking. He's measuring. It's, it's this looking intently, discerning who I am. He's familiar, David writes, with all of my ways. Familiar. Familiarity, right? We understand that with best friends or siblings, spouses. Right? Kathy, she'll, she'll, something will need to be done, right? Kathy will go, She'll go, do you want me to do that? I'll be like, no, I got it. She'll go, are you sure you don't want me to do that? I'm like, what? no, I got it. And she's like, why is she asking me like three times? Because she knows I'm going to forget, right? There was a box of markers down in my office this past week. that I, Someone it came down from the resource room for something someone was using, and, and I'm like, I'll put them away. Kathy's leaving my office. She's like, why don't I just take those back to the resource room? I'm like, no, I got them. She's like, no, let me take them back. I'm like, no, I got them. She's like, you're going to forget, you know. They were there for two days, but they went back up, right? But she knows me. She knows my tendencies. God knows your tendencies. He knows your habits, all your ways. He knows the words on my mouth before I speak them. And he goes into this. You hem me in, he says. You hem me in, verse 5, behind and before. What's he saying here? David is saying this, that God is the invisible presence who has complete access to everything I say and think and do. God is on every side of the psalmist. There's no way for the psalmist or for me to ever escape his presence. That's why he knows everything. We used to come in this door on Sunday mornings before the security system was in place and years ago, and I'd park here, out here, and, and uh, Kathy would wait in the car, and, and, and my girls, they loved coming in the side door with Daddy. There's something mad. We, we'd hike underneath the, the eaves of the building, and in the winter, with all the icicles, it was kind of cool, and we'd always come in this door, and uh, there's not, because there's an outside door right here, and we'd come in there, and when you get into this little alcove here, there's a landing. You can go downstairs or come through here, and you can't quite reach the light bulb, so that door closes, that big steel door closes, and it's completely dark in there. I know that the stairs... All right, there. So Chris and Hannah, little Chris and Hannah and Maggie, they'd come wandering in in their cute little Sunday dresses. And I'd step in that door, and immediately what I would do is I'd put my arm out over here. Because I know that the stairs are right there, and I'm putting myself between the girls and the stairs. They don't know. They're all excited to walk in here until we can get to flip that light on. 
and, and walk in the building safely, right? That, that's, that's what the psalmist is capturing here. God hems me in. Sometimes I'm in the dark. I don't see. I don't understand the danger. I don't understand what's there. But God's there with his hand right behind me, knowing where I am and what I need, understanding me, guarding me, protecting me, hemming me in, right? Then he goes on to say, God's hand is upon me. This is an astounding statement. The hand of God. You want a great uh, Bible study? Study the hand of God. The hand of God throughout Scripture. The hand of God is is what delivered uh, Israel from Egypt. The hand of God brought the plagues upon Egypt and gave Israel Israel conquest, uh, victory in their conquest over powerful foes. We can go on and on throughout Scripture to look what the hand of God. It's that hand that is upon my life. That hand. How awesome is that? So the summary of this first section of Psalm 139 is that God is omniscient and he knows exactly what I'm doing and I'm thinking. He's not far off. He's not disconnected. He sees everything. And the psalmist contemplates that and he stands in amazement in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. A response of worship. This is just incredible. I can't even believe that God would, would invest in me, that God would care that much about me. We were at the Schellenberg's cabin years back on the, uh, up north, and, uh, and my kids were out playing on the, the dock one day. And uh, Michelle, the, the Schellenberg's neighbor up there, Mr. Green, he'll, he'll call them every once in a while. Someone's there just checking in. And, you know, hey, you know, Michelle, you know there's a bunch of hooligans jumping off, you know, your dock. And, and anyway, so he, he had called one day, and, and uh, Michelle texted Kathy. This is hilarious. He text, she texted Kathy. She said, hey, I see the kids. I don't even remember what they're doing. She said, playing, uh, or the kids are playing out at the end of the dock or something like that. And Kathy came out, she's like, hey, Miss Michelle just texted me, and uh, she saw you just, you know, do whatever, you, whatever it was they're doing. And they're like, oh. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Miss Michelle has cameras in the woods. <laughs> she's watching. And they're like, and this was before, I could get away with a lying face then. Um, this is when they were little. Uh, but they're like, whoa. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you better do everything right, because she sees you, you know, right? And they're just like, and they're looking in the trees for Miss Michelle's eye in the sky, you know. And, and, but that awe, they're like, whoa. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's amazed. You can see me? You understand me? Right? It's amazing to David. He's overwhelmed. Such knowledge is too wonderful. By the way, contrast this with the limited knowledge of the gods, small g, that is mocked throughout Scripture. I love this. Um, oh, this goes back to... Um, God knowing uh, what we're going to say. forgot that before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Um, the concept of God knowing what I'm going to say before I say it. Um, this is Isaiah 41. Uh, this is a complete mockery of the gods. Israel's small g gods. Let them, let your gods, uh, let them bring them. Let Israel bring the gods. And tell us what's about to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. (laughs) But then uh, Isaiah drops the bomb here, right? Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Right? Contrast the God who sees and knows with the gods of this world. He is God. We stand in awe of him. But listen, to me, that's not one of the greatest parts about the psalm. 
Um, it's one of the cool things. But listen, God is always present with me. The amazing thing is, God has searched me and known me. He knows my thoughts. And you get to this part. And he is still with me. Right? He knows my thoughts. Think about all that means. It means the good ones and the bad ones. Right? How many of us, probably all of us, would sit here and go, I don't want everyone to know all my thoughts. Right? If everyone really knew all my thoughts, my pride, my anger, my loss, my this, this, this like no one would like me. Right? Well, what the psalmist is saying here is God does know all that. None of it is surprised to him. None of it is hidden to him. And God still likes you. God is still with you. That's one of the most amazing things in this psalm to me. God knows all of that about me. Nothing is hidden. And he is still with me. He still hems me in. He still puts his hand upon me. How awesome. Though he sees all, God still chooses to love me. And so the psalmist David asked this question then. Where can I go from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nowhere. Nowhere. Think of the most isolated you've ever been. God's there. Most alone you've ever been, God's there. One of the things I like to do, this probably sounds weird on wilderness trips, I like at night when it gets dark, I like to like wander back in the woods, off the trail a little bit, and kind of wander in the woods where it's still and dark, the light of the campfire is not necessarily there, and you look around, you can barely see outlines of trees, and it's still and a little eerie, and you're like... God's here. God's out there. God knows what little bugs are crawling under that tree right there. God sees all of this. I'm in a place where not very many people have probably ever set foot. And God is here. I was talking to Andrew Postma in between. Andrew was talking about one of their trips into Ukraine to do some relief work there. He said they had a car breakdown at night. And he said the best solution, the only solution that they had was Andrew stayed, had to stay with this car while everyone continued on to uh, this, this checkpoint to, to, to bring aid to people. And Andrew said, I'm sitting, he goes, and he goes, this psalm was in my mind the entire time. I'm sitting in a war zone in the middle of the night, not safe. And he said, all I could think about was Psalm 139. And God's here. And he goes, that's what I grabbed onto. God is here. God is here. Right? God is there. The Mariana Trench, right? The, the psalmist goes, height, depth, the Mariana Trench. It's 36,204 feet deep, almost seven miles deep. Deepest place on earth, right? God is there. Mount Everest, 29,000 feet high, almost five and a half miles. God is there. Jonah, his prayer in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, out of the belly of hell, I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah discovered this, right? You can't run from God even if you want to. He's already there. So you have these opposites, up and down, east or west, darkness, light. They're all the same to God. You can't escape him. His domain is everywhere. You contrast that with the gods of the ancient Near Eastern world, right? The gods of, of David's world were, 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 were spatial. You had the god who reigned in Canaan. You had Baal who was there. You had the gods of Syria. You had the gods of Mesopotamia. Those gods, but they had boundaries and limits, David's God, our God, it's all his domain. Not anywhere we go where we can escape from him. Such knowledge is too wonderful, David says, right? He goes on. He talks about his God. God is my purposeful creator. In this section here, God's omniscience and his omnipresence are linked. 
He knows us because he made us and he saw us in the womb. Note the interest right here that God takes, the care he takes of us, even in the womb. The, the literal translation, you created my inward parts. This is literally, you created my kidneys. My kidneys were created by you. I can't see my kidneys. You can't, I don't, and I don't want to see any of your kidneys, right? But, but God saw those. He made those. That's how intimately acquainted he is uh, with us. He knit us together. He weaves this sewing language here. In verse 13, you knit me together. Uh, again in verse 15, intricately woven. He, you sewed me together. That intricately woven, it's, it's embroidered. It's literally, you, you embroidered me in a variegated, variegated way. All the colors, stuff, you weaved them together. Zach right now, he's doing these string art things for this little business project at, at school that they have to do. Zach's been working on these, and every single one of these, he cuts out, he does this, this nail art, and he makes an image out of nails, and then he weaves them together, and he spends hours doing that. Hours. He's done this again since April. I'll sit there watching him, and every single one of those is different, and every single one of those has Zach's time and unique uh, personality in them, and they're all different as he weaves those things together. That's what God has done with us. That's the sense. That's how he knows us. Omniscience. This, by the way, the birth and development of a child in a womb was looked upon by, as a great mystery back then, right? They didn't, they didn't have ultrasound, right? You, know, you learned one thing in church there, right? If you leave here today, go, the one thing I learned is that David didn't have ultrasound, right? You know, now, this isn't a mystery to us, right? You go to the hospital and they, you know, and like, oh, there's the baby and there's this, this, right? Then the whole process was a mystery. Couldn't see inside didn't understand that, that process. But God was there. Right? The, the writer of Ecclesiastes writes this, as you do not know the way that the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The writer of Ecclesiastes, you don't, you don't, we don't know how this all works, but God does. God is there, right? Because God made me, therefore I have purpose. All my days are number. This indicates complete care and sovereignty on God's part. God has written my story. God has written your story. The fact that there's a book, right? It communicates God's preordained plan. One of the implications of this is I can just rest, knowing that God created me for a purpose. God is unfolding his story for my life. That's why over the years, my, my in-laws, Kathy's parents, they take these missions trips. And, and dad's heart situation hasn't been great since, since college days. He had bypass surgery and... and but he just always say, we're going. People would say, to, you know, Kevin and I are like, are you guys, are you sure? It's okay, you know, that mom and dad going to Togo, going to Bangladesh. And, you know, dad was always like, you know, he made it very clear. Every time he'd go, hey, listen, I'm going to go, and if I die there, don't bring me home. If I die there, I die there. Just bury me there. It's fine. Complete rest in the sovereignty of God. So people would ask us, are you okay with me? We're like, yeah, I don't They're serving the Lord, and this is what they want to do. God's written the days of dad's life. And if he's going to live, he's going to live. If he's going to die there, he's going to die. And, and dad just, mom and dad just trusted that. Complete confidence, right? So what do these truths lead us to? Well, for David, they led to a response of, of worship. Verses 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts to me? How precious. It's just a response of worship. God's aims and plans and thoughts toward the psalmist are vast as, as sand. The psalmist is in awe of the fact that God never forgets him. God never loses sight of him, right? Kathy would go away like on a Saturday or something, doing projects around the house, and kids would be playing outside. She'd, she'd say, Craig, I'm going to Meyer. Tyler is on the playground. Okay. No, no, look, at, look me in the eye, Craig. 
Tyler is on the playground. Okay, keep an eye on him, okay. You know, I'd even give a token like she's starting to walk away. Tyler, how you doing, buddy? Fine, okay, see, Kath, I got it. You know, she's leaving. You know, maybe the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, like, hey, Tyler, you doing okay? I'm doing okay. Well, two hours later, Kathy comes home. Like, hey, I'm back, got the stuff, okay, where's Tyler? <laughs> Grand Rapids. <laughs> Forest Hills, I know even better, right? I, yeah, well, you know, I forget. I, I just got, I lost track. I got caught up in my job. God never gets caught up in his job. I can forget you. When you're sleeping, God's not like, oh, you're sleeping. I can take a little break and go over here and do this. He's like, always there. David's amazed by this. Worship, awe awe at the level of concern the creator has for him. He also has this response of allegiance and submission. This is a really beautiful psalm until you get kind of to verse 19, isn't it? (laughs) One one commentator wrote, this would be one of the most beautiful psalms of all times, if not for these last six verses. (laughs) There are a lot of things to be encouraged by and thankful for in this psalm, right? But the reality is who God is and what he knows about our hearts does force us to respond to him. And the psalmist does that. David does that. He pledges, in essence, he pledges his allegiance to God. I'm on your side, God. Do what you will with the wicked. I, I distance myself from the wicked. You take care of the wicked. You slay the wicked. He boldly opposes the wicked based on all that he has just confessed about God. He hates sin and those who oppose the amazing God he has just described here. He has no use for those who do not take God seriously. Right, Verse 20, they take your name in vain. He identifies with Yahweh. And then he makes this curious statement. Right, Search me. Oh God. Verse 23. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Well, that's kind of weird. He's already confessed that God knows his thoughts. He's already confessed that God has searched him. So what's he doing here? Well, I'd suggest to you this. He's simply yielding to who God is. He's simply yielding to who God is. We can either yield to who God is or we can rebel. But we need God to examine us. We need to invite God to invade our privacy, right? Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is yielding to him. I need God to search me, not so he can learn anything more, but so he can reveal to me what is wrong and sick in my own heart. That's what he's doing. He's yielding. So, is this a good psalm or a bad psalm? Well, it depends where you're sitting this morning. If you're yielded to God, if you love God, it's a good psalm. Like it was for David, he found peace and hope and joy in this psalm. But if you're running from God, if you're walking in disobedience to God, this is a very threatening psalm to you. An all-knowing God is a very threatening God. Sobering in the sense that there's no hiding my sin. Right? So again, encouraging, because God is walking with me no matter where I am. David doesn't see God as a threat here. He's God as a source of encouragement and blessing. How you're living your life today will dictate how you view this psalm. So a few points of application here. I can have more courage to oppose wickedness and step out and do things for God. If I know God's with me, God's present with me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go there because I know you're already there. I can rest my anxious and fearful heart in these realities of who God is John Flavel, 
Puritan writer writes this, fear makes people distrust the best security when they are in imminent peril. What a mischief this is to make us suspicious of those promises that are our chief relief and support in times of trouble. Our fears will render us unfit for prayer. They will also shake the credit of the promises. The damage to us is so great that it would be better to lose our two eyes than to lose such advantages in trouble. Fear blinds us to who God is. We embrace who God is, right? Know that God understands me. Remember that God has created me. My purpose and significance is derived from this. Treat sin differently and pursue holiness. I'm going to align myself with God. Pursue holiness instead of the sinners of this world. Stop running from God, right? Distance brings no security. Distance brings no security. Choose your side, declare your allegiance, and yield to God and invite him to invade your privacy. We're going to close with a video. And then Luke's going to come and lead us in one song. I don't know how many of you know the story of Stephen Curtis Chapman and his life. Stephen Curtis had adopted a few little girls, a couple little girls from China. And a terrible accident years ago where one of his sons was backing out of the driveway of their home and struck their little daughter, and she died. And uh, it's been fascinating over the years to watch how Stephen Curtis has, has wrestled with that and that happening in his life. This video is called Still. You may have heard it on the radio, and it kind of captures that journey of being frustrated with God and not understanding uh, who God is, and yet getting to a point in his life where he says, I'm going to declare it. And the, the way the video moves, it, he ends with that, declaring God's goodness in spite of the frustration and stuff he felt. So I'm going to ask you to watch this and, uh, and, and contemplate who your God is, and then Luke's going to come and close us with a song.